Living la vida loca, talking about a low carb diet. Uh -huh. Getting your body healthy, and ain't no doubt about it. Yeah, it's really about ketosis, a ketogenic life. Yeah, a real time indicator for ketosis called ketonics. It messes your breath for ketones. Are you burning fat? It's the first of its kind. All my ketonians, where you at? Hey, I'm just here to let you know. Wanna look and feel incredible. We living la vida low carb. Get your body healthy and live long. Hey, keep my fats high. And my carbs low, need my glucose down right now, pronto. Check my ketones, look at the stats, yo. With ketonics, now I'm in the burning fat zone. Ketonics, we burning fat, yeah, we own it, yeah, yeah. With ketonics, I'm burning fat and I'm on it, yeah, yeah. Living la vida low carb, I do this every day. If you wanna burn that fat, it ain't no other way, yeah. Go to ketonics.co. And for my international followers, it's ketonics.com. Are you looking for macadamia and almond nut butter and convenient on-the-go closable nut butter pouches? Then let me introduce you to Superfat. They are a certified keto and paleo line of macadamia and almond-based nut butters. They come in pouches with five different flavors, including nitro coffee MCT, MCT probiotic, and cacao coconut. Each pouch contains 50% more than other nut butter pouches, and they actually taste great. Healthy plant-based fats found in Superfat support sustained levels of energy, cognition, and mental clarity. Macadamia nuts are found in all flavors and are scientifically proven to help speed up fat metabolism. This high-density energy source will give you a boost whenever you need it. Again, it's called Superfat. Check them out at superfat.com and be sure to use the coupon code JIMMY at checkout to get 20% off of your order. Superfat. You're listening to a special presentation of Jimmy Rants on the Livin' La Vida Low Carb Show. Jimmy and Christine are traveling, so we're bringing you some of the best content from Jimmy's daily show, Jimmy Rants. Want to know what the very latest is in nutrition news? Follow Jimmy at JimmyRants.com for all of the archives and links to his social media where you can engage live with the content. Stay tuned now for a special Jimmy Rants on the LLVLC Show. Living La Vida Low Carb, this show is changing lives We talking about your diet, trying to get you feeling bright Cut up the avocados, fry some eggs, time to explore The longest running health podcast, hosted by Jimmy Moore Time to give up the crappy garbage, we're getting into ketosis Every day is a new step to your goal, yeah you're getting closer Motivated and focused, don't stop just go Time to get inspiration from the Living La Vida Low Carb Show Hey. The Living Low Carb Show.com. Today I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast somebody uh, that has been requested over and over and over again by so many of you. You have asked me if I would get John Nicholson on the program to talk about his brand new book called The Meat Fix. And uh, as you can imagine, he's probably getting a lot of negativity from the vegetarian vegan community. Uh, because John used to be a part of that community, but he realized, as the subtitle of his book, The Meat Fix, says, how a lifetime of healthy eating nearly killed me. This should be a fun interview today. John, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks, Jimmy. 
Well, um, as people can probably tell hearing your accent, you are from the UK. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit of your background, who you are, uh, what you do for a living, and how you found vegetarianism to begin with. Okay, well, I'm 51 years old. Uh, as I say, I'm from a very working-class kind of background in the north of England, which is, uh, for American listeners, is um, uh, quite an industrial kind of area of the country, uh, lots of blue-collar work. Um, and I kind of grew up in a very sort of working-class kind of aspirational household. Um, I became a vegan and vegetarian in 1984, or 1983, rather, um, when it was... Um, I basically, I was a hippie. Let's <laughs> cut to the chase. I was a hippie. <laughs> and um, basically, I kind of embraced that whole green, kind of whole food, long-haired beard and lentils kind of, um, kind of lifestyle. Right. And um, these days, not so much. And these days, I'm definitely not a hippie anymore. I'm a writer for, uh, for a living. And, um, yeah, I've basically, for the last two and a half years, I've been um, a voracious meat-eater and have uh, thoroughly enjoyed being so. Now, you said you're a writer for a living. It's uh, with uh, football, right? The soccer? Soccer, that's right. Yeah, I write about soccer and uh, about the culture of football, as we call it. And, uh, yeah, I do a lot of work in that kind of area. Awesome, awesome. Now, I'm sure you run into a lot of athletes, uh, obviously, with what you do writing about soccer. Um, you know, are there any athletes that you know of that are excelling on a vegetarian diet? Well, I'm told there are one or two, but uh, more interesting uh, uh, from my kind of new perspective is, is how many are actually on low-carb diets. Right. Um, but uh, so, no, I mean, it's it's a very interesting thing that people in football, particularly, again, because it, it comes from a very working-class heritage, uh, they look at me like I was as crazy as I really was when I was a vegetarian, <laughs> and they just can't believe I ever managed to survive on it. Um, but um, but indeed, there are people who thrive on the, on the, in an athletic career and uh, and do so without consuming a lot of carbohydrate, and I do find that very interesting. Well, and John, I think that's a growing trend. I think more and more of the elite athletes, whether they're Olympians, whether they're professional athletes, and whatever their sport is, I, I don't think they want to give away their secrets. And maybe they've been doing this for a while, and it's just now kind of becoming in vogue. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. In um, in the UK, quite a lot of guys who play rugby, which is obviously a, a very physical and very aggressive kind of sport, um, have spoken about basically being on essentially very low-carb diets with uh, high-protein diets in order to build muscle. And um, and have been, I think that's actually almost the default kind of um, food regime for those guys because they've got to be so big and so strong and yet have so much power and energy. Yeah. And I think the days where they used to consume a lot of carbohydrates do that are long gone. I think it's well accepted now that um, that the way to kind of the way to live in that kind of environment certainly is to be low carb and high fat, high protein. Sure. Now, John, you lived as a vegetarian, and, and you put in the email to me, unfortunately, for over a quarter century, uh, 26 years, which is over half of your life. Uh, yeah. What was the grand awakening in your mind, in your heart, in, in your feeling about vegetarianism that made you go, this isn't the way for me anymore? Well, for, I was a vegetarian for 26 years, and for most of that time, I was a vegan. And um, for 17 of those years, I was really, really ill, um, primarily because I suffered from chronic IBS. But also, I increasingly became uh, put on a lot of weight and became obese, in fact, um, um, at one point, or clinically obese. 
And um, I suffered from all sorts of other illnesses as well. I used to be, uh, have a massive energy drops in the afternoon. I suffered from terrible headaches. Um, I had aches and pains in places I didn't know I had. And it was just, um, the quality of my life was deteriorating. But you might think, well, that was obviously a diet that was doing that to you. But because of the nature of being a vegetarian, because it's a kind of, character thing it's a kind of moral thing it's yeah. something which defines you to yourself and to other people especially after 26 years it took a lot for me to um really accept and confront the fact that uh, that it was the diet that was causing it because i'd hung my hat on this kind of way of life and on this way of thinking sure. and, uh, and i didn't want to accept i was wrong really so it was only uh, i only changed because dawn my partner for the for this whole period we met when we were at college and we've been together for 32 years now. She suffered very similar um, problems that I did with health. Um, uh, but I also, unfortunately, also suffer from um, bipolar depression as well. Yeah. And, um, and she, she'd done the research and it was her who said, let's try eating meat again because I feel as though it's not just what we're eating, it's what we're not eating that's the problem. Right. Because we've been through a lot of food exclusion kind of diets, all of the usual things, and nothing had made any difference. And so I did it to support her. Uh, but in fact, it transformed me almost immediately. And I realized the scales fall from my eyes at that point, And I realized where I'd been going wrong all those years. So you made the decision on your own. You, t you two kind of talked about this and said, hey, maybe we need to reconsider what meat is in our life and whether it should be a part of the life. Did, did you have any influences like the Weston A. Price Foundation or any books that kind of influenced you to really give this a go? Yeah, I mean, I think the primary book was Leah Keith's uh, Vegetarian Myth. Yes. And I know that that has a, had a profound effect on quite a lot of people in similar circumstances. Right. Um, and that was particularly um, uh, impactful on, on Dawn because, um, obviously, with it being written by a woman, and it very much impacted on her sense of her own journey in health in life. And um, for me, I actually came to, because I'm a kind of lazy guy, I'm a typical guy, I just don't really change unless I really have to. <laughs> you know what we're like, we just kind of get, we get in a comfortable groove, and even though we probably should change, we kind of don't want to. Right. And um, I was that kind of guy, really, and, and our relationship is very much, I'm the kind of steady one, and Dawn is the kind of innovator. So I kind of came to all of those things, Western Price and all of those things, and all the great guys that I'm sure you've talked to, like Mark Sisson. Right. Um, I came to all of those after the fact, after after having changed my diet, when I started to want to understand how and why my health had suffered so badly, but more importantly, how and why it had improved so massively when I changed my diet to uh, to one which was uh, essentially low carb, um, meat based, animal fat based. And away from everything I'd been told by the doctors for so long was actually a healthy diet, which was the vegetarian diet. So you said you made this change two years ago. Can you take us back to that first meal uh, yeah. that you had that was meat for the first time in over a quarter century? You had meat. Tell us about that. Well, the first time I sat down to eat uh, meat again was actually I wanted to test myself as to how squeamish I was about it. So <laughs> I bought some ox liver. Now, oh, there wow. is nothing more animal than an ox liver. <laughs> 
because it's bleeding. It sits there on your bench and it's bleeding, man. And it, you think, Christ, that looks like I could still be alive. <laughs> and um, so I kind of, uh, and, I, and I was scared of it, really, to be honest with you. And I cooked it, and I cooked it far too much. So it was really rubbery and hard. But I got through it, and it was okay. The, about three hours later, for my next meal, I had a steak. And that was the transformative experience. I sat down to eat the steak, and I took one bite of it, and it was like nothing I had ever eaten in my life before. Um, it, was, it was just a profound kind of almost animalistic awakening in me. And it sounds weird, and I do go into some depth of it in the book, actually, because it, it was such a profound experience. But yep. the, the most I can, I can express it as is it felt like... As soon as my body consumed it, it felt like my body was telling me that this was the right thing to eat. Right. I know that sounds kind of flaky and weird, but that is exactly how it felt. It was like it was saying, yes, this is what I need. And immediately, all of my symptoms uh, in terms of IBS never came back. Just never, they just didn't ever come back again from that day onwards. Now, I'd suffered from this for 17 years, and, I, and again, I document it in the book. Rather, I, I try to make fun of it because I think it's the only way to cope with horrendous conditions like that. Right. Because I, essentially, I couldn't leave the house without having a kind of route plotted for restrooms around town. Sure. Um, you, basically, the toilet was my best friend. Wow. Uh, and, uh, and so you can imagine that when you've suffered that for 17 years, and it's, it is, it's not just a way of life, it's, it's become your life. It's, it's almost normal to you. And then as soon as I started having the, the new way of eating and of eating meat, this never happened to me again, not once, not one time. And, um, and, uh, and it was just, uh, I, I felt almost mentally transformed by it as well. It was as though I, I, so I would become a different person almost. And um, so eating the meat again was just a most intense, profound experience. And, um, and I think it possibly for people who've never um, abandoned me for 25, 26 years. It's probably hard to understand just how profound it might be, but for me, it was very transformative. Well, and John, that leads to my next question regarding the existing vegans and vegetarians that are still out there. What do you think keeps them drawn to that way of eating, even in the face of what Lierre Keith dealt with, what you and Dawn dealt with, the face of many health issues that are obviously related to the diet? Uh, what do you think keeps people in that mantra of, I have to stay a vegan, I have to stay a vegetarian? I think it's, from my own experience, it's several things. It's about, it's about personal identity to start with. I think that once you've made the choice and you've made the argument with yourself to do it, to, to then back down from it and to say, I think it was wrong, takes a big leap of, um, of, of, um, of self-analysis, really, because nobody wants to admit that they got something wrong. Right. And so you, you start to look for all of the literature which endorses and all the other kind of viewpoints which endorse the choice that you've made, endorse your worldview, if you like. And, of course, when you do that as a vegetarian, there is a wealth of mainstream medical literature which supports the idea of eating less or no animal fat, less or no cholesterol, and certainly not eating things like red meat, and we all know what the healthy eating mantras are in the modern society. And so it kind of, and for me, it certainly did, and I'm sure this is for some other people too at the moment, it backs up the decision. Mm. If you've made it morally, because you don't want things to die in order for you to survive, then the health issue, uh, as pushed by mainstream uh, medical uh, profession, 
backs that up. It backs that choice up. So you can say, yeah, you know, I think it's wrong to farm animals and to eat animals and to kill animals, but also, hey, it's doing me good too. Now, I'll say the second thing is that a lot of people, when they go from a really crappy um, standard American diet um, uh, into being a vegetarian diet, often have improvements in health. And they have improvements in health because it probably is a better diet than the standard American diet, which isn't to say... It's a good diet. It's just not perhaps quite so dense in sugar, and perhaps it has a little bit more fresh ingredients in it right. than eating a lot of ton of processed food. So sometimes people report improvements simply because of that. You know? So they think, oh, it's doing me good, and they stick with it because of that. Well, I was okay for six or seven years, but you know, eventually it destroyed me. So I think there's a lot of different things at play. But I think that whole kind of thing about healthy eating and how it's sold to us in the mainstream um, media and in the mainstream medical advice is the main endorsing factor for uh, so-called healthy eating lifestyles. Right. Yeah, I know Denise Minger has made that point that the reason vegans and vegetarians tend to feel better is they've cut out the processed foods, the fast foods, the, the, the garbage, so to speak, from their diet. Good news, low-carb, ketogenic, real food fans. A real good foods company is now in all U.S. Walmart stores. They have enchiladas, poppers, cauliflower crust pizzas, mini pizza bites, and the chicken crust pizzas in 3,500 Walmart stores. Real Good Foods pizzas are grain-free, gluten-free, and of course, low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic. This is real food, and now it's available at your local Walmart. Get exclusive offers from Real Good Foods by texting RGF to 474747. And be sure to visit realgoodfoods.com to learn more about Real Good Foods' ketogenic line of products. Real Good Foods. And now, back to our interview. Yeah, I want to ask you, because the name of your book is The Meat Fix, and again, we're talking to John Nicholson, the author of that book, um, You know, what is it in meat that people are missing out on if they're eating a vegetarian or vegan diet? What are the nutrients that people can get from meat that they can't get from the vegetables? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I was conned into believing that eating protein in the form of beans and soya, in particular in soya, um, was a complete protein. And I think that I kind of told myself that, it, that, that um, I don't know where I learned this from. Um, it was kind of vegetarian osmosis. You know, you just kind of think, oh, yeah, 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 I'm getting everything I need. Right. But in fact, the, 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 um, soya isn't a complete protein, and you don't get all the amino acids you need. But also, there's whole issues of the digestion and things like soya as well, which is where my IBS was, was provoked. But I think above and beyond that, as a sort of more of a, looking at it as a, in, a, in a way, in a kind of more spiritual thing, is that um, I think what I was, where I went wrong was I thought... And I think a lot of younger people particularly feel like this who become vegetarian or want to, is that they feel more natural, more green. It feels more, more whole earthy about it. Do you know what I mean? It makes, mm-hmm. it, it makes it, you, make you feel closer to nature because you are respecting nature by not killing it, essentially. And I think that where I went wrong was not understanding that, in fact, with, from all death comes life and from all life comes death. And that the two things, it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship, a circle, the circle of life, if you like. And that when you stop eating meat, what you are doing is separating yourself from the, the very nature of existence. You're trying to say, I'm special and different. 
difference, and I'm stepping aside from this. And I, and I think that that is a kind of perversion of um, of our true identity as, uh, as human animals. And I, and I think that, that leads you all astray and all down lots of silly kind of routes in life that you really shouldn't be going down. And, um, and I certainly think that, coupled with the fact that you end up having a diet, which is inevitably massively biased towards carbohydrates. Right. So I kind of, my typical healthy, healthy eating life was kind of whole, uh, wholemeal bread for breakfast with fruit, and then for lunch it would be brown rice and lentils, and then it'd be some sort of like whole wheat pasta with, uh, with um, some soya kind of product for, for, for my evening meal. I mean, this is just a train of carbohydrates all the time. Um, and that explains the weight gain, it explains just everything that went to me. Um, but it also explains the different emotional states that I found myself in. Uh, I'd like to just sort of spend just a couple of minutes to talk about that because I think it's really important. Since um, changing my diet, I have become much more emotionally stable. That means that I don't, um, I don't have uh, these peaks and troughs of emotions. I don't get particularly sort of um, intense, either you know, very high emotionally or very low emotionally. I just feel a lot more grounded all of the time. And I'm sure that this is to do with the amount of glucose you're consuming in terms of carbohydrates and also sugars and everything and fruits and things like that. Yes. And I think that I used to be in a much more heightened emotional state because of the diet. And now I've changed, and now my diet is based much more on fat. It seems like I'm much more calm and rational, and I can make decisions better. I think that's a fascinating thing, you know? Other people have reported that as well. And I know we've seen a lot of research that says that the brain needs fat. And so if you're not feeding it fat vis-a-vis a vegan vegetarian diet that tends to be, as you have already stated, very high in carbohydrate, which produces more of the blood sugar, and then very low in fat, it's a double whammy. Oh, I think the the low-fat diets, be it vegetarian or, 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 or meat-eating, but, you know, is a, is a pernicious um, problem in modern eating. I think that the fear of fat has become um, almost a religion, isn't it? You know, it's almost something that people just are so scared of, you know. And then, particularly of animal fat, and that's just a bitter irony, really, because it was exactly the diet based, the unhealthy diet based on animal fats and based on meat and protein and animal protein, that restored my health. I mean, I am in such different health compared to what I was. Not just the IBS, but I mean, I dropped um, three and a half stone in weight um, within six months. But more than that, I put on loads of of muscle. So instead of being kind of apple-shaped, which was how I was before, I became more triangular-shaped, just broader and leaner and more tapered at the waist. And, you know, uh, when you put that with all the kind of more uh, mental aspects of, um, of the change, as well as the lack of the IBS, the idea that a diet based on fat and animal produce isn't healthy for you, to me, it just speaks nonsense. Because how could I be so transformed? How could I look younger, feel more energetic, um, and be leaner, fitter, stronger, more powerful, and work better, even to the point where the, the first book that I wrote, was, which was a book about soccer, was nominated for the, the, the most prestigious um, sports book prize in the UK. Awesome. Now, and I did that, I drafted that while, after I changed my diet. And I, when I was doing it, I knew that I was more mentally um, sharp and um, I had, my mental acuity was improved. Now, all of this is because of the diet, and yet we're still told, and I know that it's the same in the States, you're still told that a diet based on animal fats is going to kill you. Right. It's like a poison, and it's just not true. 
think we all know it's not true, but it, it, it's just such a crime for it to be continually spouted as though this is somehow going to prolong your life, save your life, and make you feel better than the exact opposite I feel is true. Well, and John, and what's so ironic is we're talking about real whole foods in the form of meats, and yeah. yet they promote the fats that are highly, highly processed, full of polyunsaturated omega-6 fats yeah. uh, as the healthy alternatives, vegetables is what I'm talking about, instead of saturated fat that is found naturally in foods like meats, which healed your body. It just doesn't really make any sense at all. It doesn't make any sense at all, to the point where the National Health Service, which is the kind of uh, the state um, yep. health service in the UK, recommends the consumption of low-fat spread instead of butter. <laughs> now, I, Margarine. I mean, I don't need to spell out to you how crazy that is. Yeah. But, you know, you, you're saying on one hand, hey, why don't you eat some gloop made in a factory <laughs> against something that's pure and natural? Well, you go figure that, you know. I mean, that's crazy. Of course, your neighbors in Sweden, they use that goop as a shoe shine because they can't give it away because the butter is what's selling there. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, in Scandinavia, there is a whole kind of move towards um, uh, low-carb eating. And, exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, of course, in Denmark, they've just um, introduced a fat tax. So yep. um, butter, for example, is about 5% more expensive because of that. So, yep. you know, crazy. Really, really crazy. Well, you mentioned earlier how soy was kind of the major protein source uh, for you during your vegan diet, and yet, you know, talk. Speaking of highly processed, I mean, this is a uh, food byproduct. Actually, it was an industrial byproduct that was turned into a health food. Can you tell us the story of how that happened? Yeah, I mean, that's it. This absolutely fascinated me because. Throughout my whole vegetarian career, as I like to call it now, um, I kind of had this and was sold the idea that soya is incredibly natural, green, healthy. They sell it to you in burgers and green boxes, and Paul McCartney stands in a field and, uh, and celebrates it in front of you. And it's just kind of like sold as a really healthy kind of natural green thing. It's like vegetable meat is how it's kind of sold to you. But when you actually know how it's produced... I mean, soya in itself was uh, never uh, a foodstuff until um, really until the 50s when basically they had so much soya meal left over from the um, soya oil industry and oil, soya oil was used uh, for, um, in, in, in industry, not as, not as something for people to consume. So they just had a bunch of soya left over. They had to do something with it. And they started, and so they created effectively things like TVP with it. Now, TVP, is, and again, I looked at did some real sort of in-depth research about this. It is extruded through an incredibly intense chemical process. It ain't hard. It ain't easy to get this stuff. It's hard to get oil out of soybeans, as you would imagine. I mean, it's not like an olive. I mean, you crush an olive, the oil comes out of it, that's you done. But, you know, a soya, uh, it, it doesn't render its oil easily. So there's an immense, long industrial process to get this stuff from being a bean into the kind of kind of stuff that you see the vegetarian products made out of. Yeah. And once you know that, it's kind of like less healthy than drinking gasoline. <laughs> it just feels, I mean, it's, and the idea that it's green and natural, it's nothing could be more uh, further from the truth. It is the most processed food. 
it makes Twinkies look like kind of organic pineapple. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just really, really contrived. And then, but, but for the last 60, 70 years, the soil industry has had an ongoing um, advertising campaign to essentially make us believe soya is super healthy and that it's a low-fat alternative to meat and it's a great protein and all of this. So much so that soya used to be considered um, uh, something that padded out meals. Like, I think you would call it hamburger helper. Yep. Do you know what I mean? It just yep. pads out meals. And you just kind of, you put it in there, and it's a cheap filler. And it's been stopped being marketed as a, as a cheap filler. And now it's marketed as a kind of middle-class, upscale, whole food supermarket kind of thing yep. for aspirational people who are cool and hip. And um, it, it, this is all part of their kind of campaign to really make us believe that soya is this kind of benign kind of health food and not this kind of hell, hellish industrial product, which is a long way from being a natural product. So it's really done a full circle, really, in terms of how I view it. I used to really see it as this kind of saviour of foods, but now I see it as a poison, really, a little better than a poison, especially when consumed as a processed for meat. Well, so, uh, yeah, I've changed my views entirely on this. <laughs> and they give it, you know, cool names like tofu, or they give it uh, a name edamame, so yeah. people don't really hear soy, which is tending now to get a bad name. It's kind of like high fructose corn syrup, how they've tried to change it to corn sugar so it doesn't have such a bad name anymore. I, I sense the same thing is happening with soy, you know, and then you have people here in America, and I know he's influencing you guys in the UK now, Dr. Oz. Um, is putting out there, you know, information about the kinds of foods that he would be promoting. And, you know, he promotes things like eggs and real butter and avocados and things like that. But there's no mention of red meat at all on his healthy shopping list. And it's a lot of soy. It's a lot of healthy whole grain products, low fat products. It, it really it, it's a shame that he kind of is the standard bearer for what is healthy and what is not. Well, this is interesting because then this is really why I was motivated to write the meat fix um, was because this is still th th that kind of diet that, you're that he's talking about. That's really what I lived off. Yeah. I was the brown rice lentils guy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, like the idea that this is somehow, I mean, in other words, really what I went through was I went through a kind of extremely healthy version of the healthy diet as recommended by doctors, um, but earlier than everybody else because, in, you know, in 84, nobody was a vegetarian or very few people were and everybody who was was a kind of weird, freaky kind of guy. <laughs> and, um, hippie, you know, hippie. it was all kind of like whole food hippie type people, which is definitely what I was. And I, I like the fact that it was different. But because of that, I'd be, I got there earlier. I was a kind of early adopter, if you like, for the healthy eating lifestyle. And I'm here to say that really, you know, this diet, this, this whole grain, you know, low-fat diet, man, it ain't what our bodies would, would or at least I, I, what I should say is that I think that for many of us, I, I think there are exceptions of people who can thrive on diets which aren't, um, uh, which aren't sort of uh, uh, meat and, and fat-based. Uh, and I wouldn't want to, to make a sweeping statement to say that absolutely everybody should all eat exactly the same diet, that we are clearly individually different. But I think as a general principle, the idea that basing your diet on low-fat whole grains is madness. It's insanity. And you look at it, 
Look at our populations of our countries. You know, um, 65% of people are overweight. Uh, a quarter of the people are obese. And this, is all, this has happened on the Healthy Eating Brigade's watch. This didn't happen when we just used to eat unprocessed food based on meat. And even when we ate, I mean, I was brought up on a meat, what we used to call in the UK, a meat and two veg diet, mm-hmm. which is just meat, potatoes, and, you know, a, and a vegetable. Right. And, but we didn't get fat even on that. And that was relatively high carb compared to, to what I eat now. But we didn't get fat because it was just, it was just pure food. Yeah. We didn't eat all this kind of processed rubbish, and uh, we didn't eat endless amounts of um, whole grains and carbohydrates. It was just kind of moderate. And, uh, I, you know, the idea that somehow oh, everybody's lives are going to get better if they just eat more low-fat food and, and uh, more whole grains. Well, look around us. People are doing this, and they ain't getting any better. I mean, right. they are not getting any better. And in the UK, we have record levels of type 2 diabetes, record levels of food intolerances, record levels of uh, food allergies, record levels of depression. And uh, all the medical things that go with that. When I was a healthy eater, on eating an almost no-fat diet, I and, and and I hadn't eaten any animal products for twenty odd years. I had a cholesterol reading that was the highest in my region of the country. It was the highest anybody had seen all year in the country. We measure it differently to you in the UK. It's nine point two, but right. it, it, you know, think of it as as one of the highest readings you have ever seen. Now I had a high cholesterol because I wasn't eating any cholesterol. Right. My body was over-manufacturing it and pushing it into my blood. Not that I think cholesterol is a problem. I've since learned the whole thing about the cholesterol myth, which I'm sure a lot of you and a lot of your listeners are up to speed with. Yep. But, um, but nonetheless, you know, the idea that somehow, oh, not eating animal fats, that'll keep your cholesterol levels good. No, no, all wrong. That's all a lie. Um, and so, again, I think people, these th- issues are, uh, concern people and they, and they worry people. I think people feel bad and guilty about their food choices if they have, like, a burger or something. But, they, but you know, don't feel like that if they have, like, brown rice and lentils. Well, that's just crazy, you know, and I think we've been perverted in how we feel about food. Yeah. Now, John, i got to ask you, what do you think it's going to take for the USDA and the NHS and all of these health groups in our nations to begin realizing what you and I realize, that it's the carbs stupid uh, and that we need to cut those out of our food uh, guidelines, the dietary guidelines that we're promoting as healthy to people. I mean, there's people out there today in both the UK, America, and around the world that are eating gobs upon gobs of healthy whole grains because they've been told that's what's good for them, and yet that's what's sending them to an early grave, possibly. Well, and I think worse than that is, is that it's one thing, you know, you never know if you're going to die early uh, because like, you don't know what, what age you're going to die at. You know, if you if you haven't made the choice to change your diet, but I think the most important thing is how you live the quality of your life yeah. when you're alive, right. and you know, and, and I think that's as, just as important. I think too much emphasis is placed on on longevity. Uh, I think it's about the quality of existence. That's the most important thing. Life is for living. Yeah. But anyway, I think what it'll take to change this, as a kind of general advice, is is I think it almost won't change. You know, I think it'll be, it'll have to come from the people upwards. And the reason I say that is because there's too much money by too many global, uh, global um, industries have too much money invested in keeping us sick. And I really, I genuinely not a fan of conspiracy theories. And I don't think there's been a conspiracy to make us sick. But now that we are sick, um, I think there is a conspiracy to keep that the case. Because if you think about it, who benefits from a healthy individual that just eats unprocessed food? Really, pretty much just the individual. Um, you don't have to take any medicines. 
So all the, all of the uh, pharmaceutical companies, they don't benefit from that. They don't make any money from that. There's no, uh, all the guys who do all the research into all of that, they don't benefit in the, from that. Um, I mean, everybody loses out once a guy gets healthy. Because mm. uh, the whole of the medical industry makes a lot of money out of sickness. And uh, so you imagine if you said you can get well just by just eating pure food and cooking it yourself and just having a, this kind of diet that we know works for us. Now, really, that is going to strip billions of dollars out of industries. And so they, they're going to work damn hard to make sure that, that this information does not get established as the truth. Well, I mean, they'd be crazy not to. And that's why every time that there is a, a kind of above-ground assault on the um, high-carb um, orthodoxy, uh, such as we saw in America, particularly in 2004, when Atkins had its real peak. And uh, then suddenly, above ground, come all of the attack dogs uh, of all the various industries that stand to lose money in this, particularly the grain industry, but other industries too. And they'll start paying for science to prove their point of view. And that's essentially what happens. We know that's what happens. Uh, people like Mary Unique have been talking about this for years. Yep. And, um, and so, really, unless you're paying attention, unless you are very proactive and are very mentally focused on what might be going on, you're going to just basically think, oh, those low-carb guys, they're all crazy. You know, that's just another nut job who's got a weird diet. Uh, someone's just trying to make money by... Uh, I mean, this has been accused of me saying that somehow I'm, I'm uh, in fact, because I've got a book to sell, then, and, you know, this is kind of warps my view of, right. of the whole thing, you know, like I'm making money from it. Well, you know, really, it's, if that's the best that they've got in terms of argument, then, you know, I think they've lost the argument already. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean, that, that whole, there is a whole raft of uh, public relations and, and all sorts of things, and marketing budgets spent keeping us believing that the low-fat high-carb orthodoxy is the right one. And, and I don't see them giving that up. No. So I think it's going to have to come from, from the people, as all great movements do, they come from the people. And I think that's where it's going to have to start. Well, and I sense that grassroots has already taken a hold, I think, with the expansion of the paleo diet kind of getting out there uh, into the mainstream. And, of course, those of us who are promoting uh, low-carb diets and, and keeping the spirit of Atkins alive, so to speak, uh, you know, we're, we're working together to change that, and it will happen one at a time where one day maybe those Fruit Loops on the shelf aren't being uh, uh, sold quite as often or the crisps over in the U.K. Yeah. not being purchased off the shelf there quite as often, and they're like, what's going on? And we're already seeing that here in America. Uh, sales of whole grain products have been have gone down for the first time in many years, you know, thanks to the influence of books like Wheat Belly by Dr. William Davis and, and different other ones that are out there. So uh, we're just very thankful for the great work you're doing. Again, his name, John Nicholson. The name of his book is The Meat Fix, How a Lifetime of Healthy Eating Nearly Killed Me. His website, The Meat Fix. Dot com And I love that column, and I'm going to link to it in our show notes to the Mail Online. Damn your low-fat diet, how a reformed vegan gorges on all the foods his granny enjoyed and has never felt better. 
Uh, living la vida loca. This show is changing lives. We talking about your diet, trying to get you feeling right. Cut up them avocados, fry some eggs. Time to explore the longest running health podcast, hosted by Jimmy Moore. Time to give up the crappy garbage. We're getting into ketosis. Every day is a new step to your goal. Yeah, you're getting closer. Motivated and focused. Don't stop, just go. Time to get inspiration from the living la vida low carb show. Hey. The Living Low Carb Show.com. Woo! Disc. <laughs>